Stand up, women make your choice. Create a world without nuclear death. Now together we are strong. Break the nuclear chain. Building bridges between our divisions. I reach out for Susan Jehoda is an artist, educator, and organizer whose work includes video, photography, text, performance, installation, and research-based collaborative projects. In September 2014, Susan, along with her daughter Emma Jehoda Brown, curated the exhibition Documents from the Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp at Interference Archive. The exhibition honoured the visual work of Susan Kleckner and the extraordinary women of Greenham Common who transformed the space, otherwise claimed for militarism and colonialism, into a place of protest, agency and exploration of feminist politics. In September of this year, I sat down with Susan to discuss Greenham Common, the exhibition at Interference Archive and how to make the connections between historic struggles and present-day activity. The Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp was a 19-year occupation by anti-nuclear protesters whose mission was to demand an international debate about the threat of nuclear weapons on all living things and more urgently to stop um, the arrival of mid-range cruise missiles at Greenham Common. So in 1981, a group called Women for Life on Earth, they marched from Cardiff, Wales to Greenham Common and at that time actually four women chained themselves to the fence um, demanding a televised debate on nuclear weapons and the defense secretary refused to meet with the women and that was the beginning of um, the peace camp it was actually set up a week later so between 1981 and 1984 there were actually nine camps Mm -hmm. that were established around a nine mile um, perimeter but Clearly, I mean, when we talk about a 19-year occupation, we're talking about different densities um, Mm -hmm. at different times because there were moments, uh, weeks, months, when maybe there were only 20 women Mm -hmm. on the base. But then there were other times when there were 30,000 women on the base, especially when there were particular actions. 35,000 women for peace, embracing the base. So there'll be no more war. Jump down, Greenham. I mean, it must have been really... I know it was very hard from the interviews that I did with women who were, who were there for sustained periods of time to live through a winter at Greenham. It was muddy, it was dirty, though there was only one source of water, which was a pump. It was, you know, it was very cold and damp, and um, 
you know, the food supply was, uh, sometimes there was tremendous abundance and other times there were just apples, you know, so it depend because they were dependent on donations from outside support systems and so it varied sometimes farmers would bring all of the same thing and that's what they would be eating and again sometimes it was you know a lot more so there was a lot of uh, need for creative problem solving in terms of you know how to just get by on a daily basis and there was a huge debate about about whether men could participate in the movement and um and how what their role should be in the movement and eventually it was decided that men couldn't actually stay overnight anywhere um, on the camp, but they could um, support the camp. And part of, I mean, one reason that was stated was that because it was important that it was a non-violent protest movement and that the women were continuously up against the fence and on the other side of the fence, this nine mile perimeter, there were soldiers. And so they felt that there may be these moments of um, tension that would escalate to violence. So that was another reason that they, um, that it was an all women's occupation. And then also um, there was a, the fear that, um, that women would, men and women would fall into these stereotypical gender roles because we're, think it's the 1980s. And so many women actually came to Greenham to escape those kinds of stereotypes. They wanted a different life. They had left, I mean, many women made huge sacrifices. They left their children, they left their husbands, um, and they didn't want to end up cleaning. I mean, this raises, I get, I mean, it's a slightly other topic, but um, around sexuality. And for women that were identifying as queer, um, that was a, play, a welcome place and a location for women to be able to express themselves according to their sexual preference. Could you just talk a bit about what type of material the women were producing at the time during the camp? Yeah, well, um, everything from newsletters, so there were regular newsletters. Um, there was an amazing songbook. Um, I mean... That is a whole sort of other conversation about the levels of, of creativity, the most remarkable kinds of actions that took place at Greenham. Um, I think that um, the male police force was not used to interacting with women's bodies. There was, uh, the police weren't, um, they, they were slightly reluctant to drag people or to um, engage physically with them. So the women, knowing that, um, did these incredible kinds of things like wrapping themselves in yarn so that body, you know, one body was connected to ten other bodies or covering themselves with honey and trying to uh, scale the fence, break the fence down, and but they couldn't be touched because they were all slippery. Um, and I mean, there are so many incredible, you know, again, the fence as a kind of um, symbol was decorated with all kinds of um, things from sort of snake motifs to women who came and put um, pictures of family members on the fence. The fence was a kind of a, a, a canvas or a public site for um, the articulation of, 
you know, all kinds of cultural production. You can't forbid me to think. You can't forbid my tears to flow. And you can't shut my mouth when I sing. It's interesting to talk about Greenham because, in retrospect, we tend to create these seamless histories and to tell mm -hmm. a particular kind of story. But um, Greenham, it was messy. It was a messy occupation, and um, there were a lot of um, there were a lot of difficulties. I mean, women came from different um, class backgrounds. Oh, they they had common ground, which was that they were really interested in the anti-nuclear movement. Mm -hmm. But they weren't necessarily, or they wouldn't necessarily call themselves feminists. And then there were women who came who really were sort of radical feminists, but radical feminists who wanted a kind of a separatist environment. There were tensions uh, around race. I know it was difficult for black women and, and white women to find where the common ground was and what the differences were in their struggles, um, the liberation struggles, and, um, and obviously there were class issues too. I suppose one other thing I was interested in that might come out in this is, is why you think it was able to last so long as a camp and how it was able to, to sustain itself. Um, I think that the goal was that the land be restored to it become common land again and that, um, I mean, the last woman to leave the site in 2001 was she was the last woman there but she you know waited until the land was actually given back so that was um a major goal but why it lasted as long as it did well i think that the goal well actually i mean it's interesting if we look at the timeline because in 1991 which is 10 years after the first camp was established that the cruise missiles are removed from Greenham and common for destruction. Um, so from 1991 to 2001, I mean, there's a slow dismantling of the of the base, but still there are some military actions that are taking place, and then there's the whole debate about how and when the land is going to be restored as common land and open to the public. And I think there was a real investment um, in making sure that in fact that happened and so it is now common land it's common land there is a museum that i think just recently opened last year some kind of commemorative site So do you think in the international context, did Greenham Common become a sort of a, a point of reference for other people, you know, for people who come to other countries? Did it, did it come to symbolise something in itself? Absolutely. But, you know, what was so remarkable to me was, and maybe this gets into the history a little bit of why Greenham Common and why was I interested. I mean, I, I remember very distinctly um, when Greenham Common was happening but particularly I remembered um, when I was aware of it because my friend Susan Kleckner, who was one of the artists um, who was really very prominently part of the Greenham Exhibition at Interference Archive, uh, her work, 
I met Susan um, when I first moved to New York in the 1980s, and she had decided to go to Greenham both to photograph and to make a, a film about the camp. And she did a one-year performance piece um, dedicated to the peace movement um, that was on West Broadway. It was called Window Peace. And every week she had a different person, a different woman living in the window. So it was a one-year performance piece. And Susan did the first and the last week. And she had gone to Greenham and she brought all of this footage back. And her weeks in the window were editing the Greenham material. And so um, Susan died in 2010 and left an enormous amount of work in tremendous disarray in many storage units in New York. And four of her close friends got together and we, and this was, you know, she died in 2010 and we actually started to really organize her material right after Occupy. So... Um, so it was November and December Occupy, well Zuccotti Park was dismantled in November and then um, yeah and then December we started to go through Susan's material and so when I came across again all of the Greenham material it was in the context of Occupy it was really amazing to find all of this stuff and to think and to come across all of the uh, print media about what to do when you get arrested and of course but all handwritten and mimeographed and um, it was very easy to make those linkages and to think about well you know how was this particular protest movement what were the co- what was coincidental what was different why was this movement able to sustain itself over such a long period of time? You know, different, obviously a different time, a different culture. As we began to archive it, I had the opportunity to curate an exhibition. At that time, I was um, the art editor for the journal Rethinking Marxism, and every four years we'd do an international conference at Amherst, and, and I always had the possibility of finding a space and doing an exhibition in that space. So I began to go through all of the Greenham material and put together an exhibition. But what was really interesting to me was um, when I got invitations to go and speak about the work of organizing this exhibition um, in various classrooms at Hampshire College and at UMass and other places, nobody had ever heard of Greenham. And it was really remarkable to me that, you know, this piece of history, this 19-year occupation, which was successful. I mean, they managed to get the the warheads off the base. Um, They were persistent. And, I mean, I know there were many other factors um, involved, obviously. Um, But I think one can't help say that they had a measure of success in actually getting that treaty signed, um, you know, getting Reagan to, I mean, I think they had impact on the signing of the INF treaty. And what was the reaction of students and did you get to speak to many about it? Yeah, like, I can't believe this happened and why don't we know, we know how come we've never heard of this? Mm. You know, that was the general reaction. 
So with the exhibition, I saw, the one that, that was at Interference Archive, well, same as, but, but when it was on Interference Archive, I was just wondering what your ideas behind the exhibition were and what you hoped to get out of it. How it was organised. Yeah. Well, it was organised in actually in, in sections. So um, we had a section on daily life. We had a section on um, all of the legal um issues um, that included photographs of arrests and all the material and legal documents. Um, we had a whole section actually on Susan's life and the window piece as a kind of entry point and a way to contextualize a lot of the formal material. We had um, a whole, uh, I collected books that had been generated mm -hmm. and articles, PDFs that we displayed. It, um, in the archive section of uh, Interference Archive because um, I thought it was really important to set up an area for research where people could delve further if they wanted into the material. Um, and then we had objects. I had collected buttons and um, uh, well, we had t-shirts, we had posters, um, um, is there anything else about the exhibition you wanted to talk about? Just maybe one last thing, um, which has to do with the fact that um, a mother and daughter team put this uh, relationship, uh, put this exhibition together. And um, that I think that mirrors, in a sense, the ways in which women at Greenham passed down a particular, like there was such a radical change in the way they decided to live their lives that they role modeled for their daughters um, and maybe their sons too, um, a different way, different possibilities, different ways of living your life. And so um, the kind of intergenerational aspect of Greenham Common, um, I think impacted the ways in which Emma and I worked together on the exhibition. Four minutes to midnight Four minutes to Armageddon Four minutes before we die Four minutes to say Well, one thing that struck me um, that Ray Street had said to me that um, she's very still very extremely active in the peace movement and um, she said you know she goes to all of the meetings but who's at the meetings are all these grey-haired ladies and there hasn't really been a kind of a discourse of succession and where's the next generation and there are so many issues you know that are really at stake around peace and peace is so central well, I guess the planet could disappear before. <laughs> well, I mean, it. it's kind of interesting because we do seem to be having this at a moment when war and nuclear weapons are really a sort of big issue. I was thinking because as today is the day that Jeremy Corbyn got made leader of the Labour oh, Party, yeah. which I guess is the first time in however many years that there's a leader opposed to nuclear weapons, Absolutely. and there's the Iran deal recently, and also so it does seem that we're living in a point at which for good or bad, you know, these issues are... And, and so do you They're think... present. Very, very present. And yes. do you think 
in that context, this is where the legacy of Green and Common really fits into that. Or I mean, it would it that makes a lot of sense, but that one has to visibly make those connections, right? One has to privilege this piece of history and provide a space for it, and somebody has to write about that. Do you think the, uh, the exhibition as a format in itself, not the particular one at Interference Archive, is a, is a valuable tool in that respect? Um, yes, it's partial, isn't it? It's always, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a gathering place, it's a venue to be able to bring material together, but um, does the material make you want to act in a certain way? And if it doesn't, then to a certain extent maybe it's failed. So if it makes you want to act. But I think that requires certain kinds of programming. It requires a kind of very active um, moving out of the space and using the material to facilitate something in the present. I think that Greenham Common was a really extraordinary, extraordinary uh, movement. And um, there's probably, you know, there's a huge amount that we can learn from from it and both in both in terms of what not to do and what to do are you on the side of suicide are you on the side of are you on the side of genocide which side are you on I ask you which side are you on which side are you on are you on the other side from us which side are you on? I ask you. Are you on the side of racial strife? Are you on the side that beats your wife? Are you on the side that don't like life? Which side are you on? I ask you. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Are you on the other side from us? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? I ask you, which side are you on? Which side are you on? Are you on the other side from us? Which side are you on? And just think about it. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Are you on the other side from us? Which side are you on? Are you on the side of death or are you on the side of life? That's the only decision you have to make, pals.